7 can be found on the inside of your bulletin. We continue with the Israelites' conquest of Canaan land. And they have, if you remember last week, they took down Jericho in a miraculous way. They marched around the city and the walls came crumbling down. It's amazing, if you read that story, you discover that all the walls did not come crumbling down. Remember Rahab, the prostitute who lived in the wall? Her wall did not come crumbling down. In other words, God made it in such a way that the army could come in and yet not let everyone escape. So miraculous was this thing that happened. But something went wrong, and we're going to take a look at that today. This is Joshua 7, 1 through 26. Hear the words of the Lord. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethlehem, excuse me, Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the people, whole people, toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there to the people, from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to earth, on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more, unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, concentrate the people and say, concentrate yourselves before tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you will shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes shall be by lot, shall come near by clans, shall be brought near by, excuse me. And the clan the Lord, that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man, man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. 
And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and his donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with great stones, with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The word of the Lord. You know, there are passages in the Bible that evoke warm and fuzzy feelings. You know, I remember it was in my graduation when you still do things like this when someone would read 1 Corinthians 13 about love. I will show you the more excellent way. And then we read passages like this and we scratch our head a little bit and we wonder about this God. You know, it's almost like there's a twilight zone-ness to the Bible. You remember the twilight zone? You know, they'd show something, a person's having a normal life, and all of a sudden everything kind of changes, you know? One of these things is... Not like the other. Something goes wrong. It's like the whole universe just slants a little bit. I actually had a Twilight Zone moment this week uh, at Panera at Independence, uh, uh, the Panera Town Center. I was meeting with our commission, the rulers that oversee us, and met with them for an hour. We were talking about Redeemer, praying for Redeemer, and it was time to go. Well, I needed to use the restroom, so I proceeded to go into the restroom, and I thought to myself, you know, wow, this is... Uh, strange, you know, the, the walls, I saw that the wall was chipped here, and I, I've been in this before, and, and then there were, there were two stalls there, you know, but, you know, you got to go about your business, one was taken, I went into the next one, and as I'm sitting, you know, when you just sort of walk in and something just feels kind of wrong, okay, so needless to say, here I am, I'm walking, you know, I'm visit, doing my business, I come out, and lo and behold, there is a beautiful woman with long brown hair, brushing her hair, looking in the mirror. And suddenly it all comes to me, you know? Now, she probably sees me out of the corner of my eye, and I see her out of the corner of mine. And what do I do? I keep walking as if nothing ever happened. I just walk out like it's a normal moment. She pays no attention to me, and we both, uh, you know, get away from a very, very awkward situation. One of these things is not like the other. That's, that was me uh, on, uh, at, at Venera. You know, I think of that, this concept, one of these things is not like the other. Something doesn't belong. And I think of this passage. Because as the majority of the world looks at this passage, they would say something doesn't belong here. Either God does not belong in this story, because this is not the God that we know, for God is love. 
And therefore, as some people have done, this is a myth, it's a tradition. In fact, we're going to cut this piece of the Bible out of the Bible, and we're going to shape and fashion for ourselves a God that fits much more with the image of the God that we want. But on the other hand, if God is God, and this is the reality and the truth of who God is, then it's Achan who does not belong in this story. God is right in getting rid of Achan, in purging the sin from within the people of Israel. See, one of these things does not belong. If God is holy, Achan does not belong. But if God is not holy, he has no right to issue this judgment upon a person who makes a mistake, because we all make mistakes. Does Jesus not say he who is without sin cast the first stone? So something doesn't belong. I want to suggest to you there are three players in this story. There's God, and there's Achan, and there's us. We're in this story as well. Because this story gets to the heart of who God is and who we are. And how is it that a sinful people can dwell with a sinless God? Joshua and the people of Israel learned three things that they must learn if they are to live as the people of God. There are three things that we must learn as well. Number one, sin angers God. God is angry at sin. It affects him at a visceral level. Number two, sin not only angers God, but sin affects us all. No such thing as isolated sin. Sin done in a corner. It permeates. It affects us all. We're all in this boat together. And finally, if sin angers God and sin affects us all, we must learn to see sin like our Savior sees sin. So that's what we're going to do in the next four hours as I exposit to you this scripture. Let's take a look at these three things. Number one, sin angers God. What you will discover in the Bible is that furiousness and holiness go hand in hand. Little background, remember God has brought the Israelite people to Canaan land, he's brought them to Jericho and he said, the sin of these people has, has reached its limits. I'm going to wipe out all of it. None of it is to be touched. It is all devoted to destruction. God is saying basically this is bad to the core, and the way I'm going to make it good is by recreating it through destruction, through fire. We get this concept of purification, don't we? Do it all the time. If you've driven a car, your gasoline was refined in a refinery. If you have gold, it was refined. The impurities were taken out of it by fire, by a sense of destruction. It has been made pure. This is what God is going to do to Jericho. And he does it through miracles. And these people who are walking around discover and see the holiness of the Lord as he raises this place to the ground and gives them unstoppable powers. But what is the response of Israel? Verse 1, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So what's the crime? They took some of these devoted things. These things God says, look, it's all to be wiped out. The silver and the gold is to be given to me, and I will purify it in the temple. But they took some of the devoted things. What were they? 
Specifically, verse 21, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, so a nice robe, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, taken by Achan. Everything that could fit in a backpack, a small backpack at that, was taken and hidden under his tent. Think of the plunder as this entire, this entire town was devoted, an entire city, and this small bit of things that were taken, minuscule even. But it kindled the anger of the Lord against Israel. The word burn is the word. A kindled anger was heated up in God. We don't think of God as angry. Some of you may not. You know, he's, he's more like Father Time, you know. He's a Morgan Freeman, you know, or, or George Burns at that. Doddering old guy that wears a white suit. But listen to what Nahum, the prophet, says about God and his anger. Nahum 1, 2 through 6. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sin and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and rocks are broken into pieces by him. God is emotional. God is not love, because love is an emotion. God is a person, and he has emotions, just like everyone else. He is loving, and because he is loving, he is holy. And because he is holy, he is angry when his holiness is violated. Have you ever experienced the darkness of this world and become angry at it? Have you ever seen the sin perpetrated in its rawness and become furious at the evil of the world? Think how God, an infinitely righteous, holy God, experiences these emotions. They're kindled. They're angered. This is God. He's not an emotion. He's a personal God. He's a tri-personal God. And God sees what is happening. And His anger is kindled. And there is a result. There is a consequence to pay. The next city, Ai, really more of a hamlet up the road. Joshua has some spies go and look it out. And really, it doesn't take anyone. If we could take that city with this, it'll take no one with the help of God. But lo and behold, they go, and they're routed soundly. Only 36 are killed, but they are taken to flight. It's like their courage disappears, and the hearts of the people melt and become as water. Joshua and the people are crushed. Why has God done this? Why has He forsaken us? Why has He been with us here at Jericho, and yet now the chink and the armor has been exposed. And the Lord says, stand up, Joshua. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have stolen the devoted things. They have lied. Therefore, Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They will turn back. 
they are becoming devoted to destruction, and I will be with you no more unless you destroy these devoted things from among you. And lo and behold, here comes this process of taking lots, literally by chance, as it were, drawing lots, and it keeps on narrowing further and further and further. You know, it seems to me that God is being a little bit of a stickler here. Just saying, I will be with you no more. I mean, all of the holiness, they walked around the city for seven days. Talk about faithfulness. They were faithful with all of these things and just this one minuscule thing. And God's anger is aroused against them. He says, I am not going with you no more. See, we see a picture here of the holiness of God. As God says, this infection must be purged from you. And they find Achan. Achan's name in the Hebrew literally means one who brings trouble. What did Achan do? Joshua said, why did you do this? And the Lord brings trouble on you today, Achan. And Israel stoned him. And they raised over him a great heap of stones. And then, and only then, the Lord turned from his burning anger. It's the big deal here. The big deal, my friends, is God is holy. And he is zealous for his holiness. Got to see the movie last night with some friends, Son of God. Thought it was a good picture, you know, Jesus walks into the temple. You know, and, you know, the, my only problem with the issue with this thing, Jesus, Son of God, he was beautiful, you know. My wife was like, I don't want to go see him. He's more beautiful than I am. <laughs> you know, Jesus, as far as we can tell, looked like an ordinary guy. But Jesus walks into his father's house and he sees the money changers performing an act that needs to happen. I mean, they need animals for sacrifice. And he goes ballistic. Because it shows what a stench in God's nose is sin. God is angry. You know, the truth is we want a safe God. We want a God that we can bring out and put on the mantelpiece and put him back. We don't really want a God. We want a servant. We want to be the arbiters of what is holy. We want to decide what is exalted and what is base. We're skewed. You know, we're just like the Nazis. Remember the Nazis? They decide what's beautiful, right? This person right here, the epitome of beauty, and this Jew over here, or this gypsy, or this homosexual, that's the epitome of basis. They must be destroyed. This is beautiful. This is ugly. I am the arbiter of holiness. But what is highly valued in man's eyes is detestable in God's sight. The wrath of God has brought death. Achan died. His entire family died. Every single inch of everything that Achan owned died and was burned. What does it mean for you and me? What it means is that God's expectations for us, He has a serious view of sin for us as He did for them. That He treats sin the same way two, three thousand years later as He did with us. So what's my view of God? See the God I bring in and bring out? Cover his eyes like the bird when I don't want him to see what I'm doing? A 
That's my view of sin. I don't know if you saw, there was a little state of emergency on a particular area of West Virginia. This was actually, I think, two weeks ago. There was a, there was a chemical spill. Uh, it was uh, a chemical called MCHM. It's a chemical for cleaning coal. Uh, was leaking from a storage tank in the Elk River, and from there it went into Charleston's water supply. And this chemical, it puts off a licorice smell. And as the people of Charleston smelled this, they wondered what's going on, and they tested the water, and they discovered this leak of this uh, 10,000 gallons of this chemical that got into the water supply and went into Charleston. And they put a, they put a ban on the water so they could test this water, so they could check it out. Now, how much was uh, infected of the water supply of Charleston? It was about one part per billion. One part per billion looks something like this. If I was to go to the biggest uh, oil tanker out there uh, that's moored off the East Coast, and I was to take a, like a bottle of Visine, and I was to open up and I was to drop in one drop into the oil tanker, that's one part per billion. Now, theoretically, no one's supposed to be hurt by this stuff except at a concentration of one part per million. But that's not what they were seeing. See, it was just a little bit. But a little bit is more than enough. See, we look at sin like one part per billion. God doesn't care about it. It's just a drop of visine in the oil tanker. But God is not a safe God. He's a holy God. He gets angry, and his anger is fierce. And this world belongs to God. And God is angry at our world. And God has made a commitment to renew it. And he will renew it by destroying it, purifying it with fire. And he has said the same thing about us. So do we take God seriously? Do we take our sin Seriously. You go to work, you know, she's the subject of conversation again around the water cooler, whatever she did wrong the weekend before, and the gossip starts flowing, and truth be told, it's kind of fun to get involved with it and be a part of it as well, and so maybe you say a word that you shouldn't. Maybe it's time to put in your expense report, you know? So you just pat it a little bit. I mean, everybody does that. Maybe you got to report, you just shade the truth just a little bit, you know? And then you go home. You know, we want entertainment. So we watch shows, we watch movies, we watch stuff. You know, and to be sure, there's some good stuff on TV, but there's a heck of a lot of bad stuff. You know, I find it very interesting that sometimes I get my entertainment from things that Jesus Christ got up on a cross for and died for. What about my relational life with my wife? how I treat my kids, how I carry myself with my neighbors. You know, we can't play games with God. I want his love, but not his holiness. God says, fear me, love me, fear sin as I do. Fear it in the sense that God is angry at it. Sin angers God, and God will not overlook it. This brings me to my second point, that sin not only angers God, it affects all. One sin affects the many. Notice this. Look at some of these verses here. 
But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, took the devoted things. Verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant as I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things. Now, time out. Wait a second. Achan sinned, right? It's not the way God has seen it. In fact, we see in verse 15, very clear, God understands it. It says, he who sinned, meaning Achan, he's the one who shall be burned with fire. It is him who is, is burned along with his family. But this commandment that God says not to take the devoted things is a plural. He's speaking to the community. Does that mean that we are responsible for each other? Yes. We are responsible for each other. Should we be responsible for each other? See, the problem with mankind from the beginning. Remember Cain went out with his brother in the field and he killed him. And God said, where is your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And what God really was saying was, yes, you are. See, God, in destroying this old community, is recreating a new community. He calls it the church. Out of many, one people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim His excellency. <laughs> the essence of sin is rebellion and abandonment of God and each other. Every sin against God is ultimately a sin against your brother. Somewhere. Because it manifests itself in how we treat another. Humanity was designed to be one. And so we answer for each other. And so God, in this new community, foreshadowed in Israel, expressed more fully in the church, is showing a new community that is supposed to live differently than the world in which we are each other's keeper. See, who answers for Achan? Who was in Achan's life? Who was right next to Achan coming alongside? Who saw the signs? Well, I can't be responsible for Achan. Apparently we can. God says that we're all tied together with this thing. See, Achan knew, he saw the good stuff, he disregarded God. He disregarded everyone else. He looked out for himself. And we blame Achan. But the truth of the matter is, my friends, Israel, like the church, is a community. And we are responsible for one another. As much as the Father is responsible for the Son and the Holy Spirit, so we are called to be responsible to one another. If you are a member of this church, you are family. And the holiness of your life affects the holiness of the rest of the church. Surely we don't have these type of sin problems though, right? This is an isolated incident. I mean, Achan, he saw the goodness of the Lord. He went and he took devoted things. Even as God was giving him blessing, he took devoted things. He turned his back on the Lord. He put his ways above God's ways. He put his ways up above the community's ways. Achan's just like you and me. It's just spelled a little bit differently. The son is the one that goes to destruction. I don't know if you know the story about our founding fathers. As they were trying to rouse the sympathies of other nations in their quest for independence. Well, it came time to 
sign on the dotted line, as it were, proverbially. So the Continental Congress meeting in Boston, Massachusetts, and there it is, the document that's been drawn up by Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's one thing to sort of throw your name in and say, ah, we don't agree, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's another to write your name down, right? Because now people know where you stand. And as people are getting ready to write their name, there is Benjamin Franklin. And he stands up before all of his brothers. And as he takes his pen, he says, we must indeed all hang together, or most assuredly we shall all hang separately. And Benjamin Franklin wrote his name on the Declaration of Independence. See, the difference between the Americans and us was that our cause was just, but our cause is not. We are sinners. We deserve the wrath of God. And yet Jesus Christ has come into our midst and said, I will put my name for each one of your signatures, that the wrath of God might be ameliorated, and that you might experience the grace of God. See, the gospel is this, that I was Achan, and Jesus became Achan so I could become like Jesus. Jesus was devoted to destruction that we might receive God's loving devotion. And so we must press on together to be devoted to Him alone. Who's your keeper? Who watches over your sin? Who answers for the day-to-day -day little things, the crimes against our brother that are ultimately crimes against God? To understand the gospel, you must see that you are Achan. To understand the gospel, you must see that we have a God who is willing to come alongside, to be our brother's keeper, to die in our place, that the wrath of God may be taken off of us. Jesus is my keeper, and Jesus calls you and me to be my brother's keeper. Jesus calls you and me to be Jesus to one another. To say that no longer is my life to be lived in a silo. No longer am I not to know the trials and travails of my brother and sister at the church that is my family. Am I my brother's keeper? If you're a member of this church, you most certainly are. And my sister's keeper. And so we must receive the forgiveness of God in Christ. And we must come alongside one another. We must be Jesus to them, even allowing ourselves from time to time to be forsaken, that we might rescue them from their sin. We must hang together, my brothers, because if we do not, we will most surely hang apart. It's Jesus who was devoted to destruction, that we might receive God's loving devotion. And so we must press on together to be devoted to Him alone. So if sin angers God, point one, and sin affects us all, point two, then we must see sin like our Savior. Achan was not jealous, zealous for the kingdom of God, but Jesus was. You know, I'm not zealous for the kingdom of God, but Christ is in me, and He is. And what I am not, He is. And what I will not do, He will do. It's through dependence in Christ, through encouragement 
for one another that we must live the life that God has called us to live on the other side of the stoning, as it were, on the other side of crucifixion. We must press on together to be zealous for God's kingdom. As we reflect upon the enormity of the love of God, the silver in our tent, the golden bar, the clothes, becomes like dust. It's nothing. God has called you to so much more. A kingdom that is coming in which your sons and daughters, princes and princesses, in which your inheritance is heaven itself. Shall we not be zealous for his kingdom in this world as we live in it? We must see sin like our Savior, so we must be zealous for God's word, every single bit of it. Do I know God's word? Do I study it? Do I hold it dear? Or is it simply a compilation of suggestions for my consideration rather than commands for my participation? Am I zealous for God's word? If you are a member of this church, you must be zealous for God's word, not only for yourself, not only for your Savior, but for me. And you, because we're in this thing together. We must be zealous for each other. Parents, you must be zealous for your children. You must pray for them. You must teach them what it means to live a holy life by living it before them. Husbands and wives, you must lay your lives down for one another. Wives, encourage your husbands. Respect them. Build them up. Men, lay down your lives for your spouses. Show the holiness of God in how Jesus Christ lived. We must be zealous for each other. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are called to a new community, a new reality. We can no longer live like we lived once before. We are Achan, but in Christ we are holy. And his worship and his sacrifice and his resurrection is sufficient to protect me from my sins, both now and forever. And so we walk in joyousness. We walk in holiness. And we walk in vigilance. Let people, when they look at Redeemer Presbyterians, say, we see a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Not a perfect people, but a holy people, a forgiven people who love one another. Let's keep our eyes on the prize, my friends. God's put us all in this thing together. We must most assuredly hang together. We will hang apart. Praise God that he will never leave us or forsake us in Jesus Christ. Jesus was devoted to destruction that we might receive God's loving devotion. So through faith, let us press on together to be devoted to Him alone. Let's pray. Lord, I have Achan. Time and time again, I violate your holy law. Time and time again, I look at your holiness and turn away. I and all that I have deserves your wrath. Every one of us. 
thank you for your graciousness in the gospel. That you would come alongside and take on my sin. Submit to the cross. That the anger might be stilled. And that the righteousness of Christ might be imputed to me. Lord, help us to take sin seriously. Help us to not play church. Help us to be the new community. Help us to love one another. Help us to stand in harm's way for one another. Lord, help us to get out of our tent, whatever it is, the sin, the gold, to tell someone, to confess our sins, to come alongside and experience God's forgiveness through one another. Lord, we want to be your people. Only by your grace can we do so. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.